So this morning we are back in this series that we are calling Jesus Asks. And and this series that is all about looking at these questions that Jesus asks over the gospel accounts because the thing that you're gonna find is, is that Jesus asks and is constantly asking questions. It's estimated that across Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's some 300 questions that Jesus asks. And, and we're coming at these questions in this series because these questions are as real and important to you and I as they were to the people that we'll see Jesus encountering in Scripture. And, and these, these questions are questions that Christ is still absolutely asking you today, questions that, that, that reveal the condition of your heart, form the kind of person that he is inviting you to become, and, and it draws your focus onto Jesus so that you can better see his goodness and his love and his power, because that is such a paramount practice for us to be able to to see the beauty of Christ, such a, a key practice in our walking in the way of Jesus, to be able to see him and experience him for who he truly is. And the questions that we're looking at across this series, it does exactly that. And so today the question that we're gonna look at is this, and we're gonna dive right in, it is, from Jesus, and it's so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? And so the way that we're gonna approach this is I'm gonna actually give us some context for this question coming out of Luke chapter six. Our time in scripture is gonna actually start in Luke chapter 6, 43, but I'll give you some context to this question, give you some points to think about, and then we'll get into our scripture and go from there. So, so here's the context. Luke 6 opens up and Jesus is, is getting heat from the religious leaders for not minding his P's and Q's and doing too much around the, the, the Jewish day, the, the Sabbath. And, and then the account in Luke 6 moves to Jesus selecting his 12 closest followers and it tells us that people are flocking to him to hear him and to be healed. And as we roll into verse 20 of chapter six, we see a teaching there that really does look like and sound like the Sermon on the Mount. And we spent, I think it was last year actually, we spent months digging through the Sermon on the Mount and the details that are there. But Luke six tells us that they came down off the mountain and and Matthew chapter five, five, six and seven are actually on the mountain. And some people would say, hey, it's the same teaching. This is a a red flag. is a discrepancy in the scriptures, but it's not. Two different locations, but really the same teaching because what we see and what we're gonna see this morning is so paramount to what Jesus is about and who he is and the life that he's inviting us into that it is a teaching, it is a message that Jesus chases after on repeat. And so again, this is just context, right? So we're in Luke chapter six, verse 20, and and then moving to the end of the chapter in, in verses 20 through 26. Judaism is practiced back in that day by the religious leaders had gotten things pretty twisted around and they put so much emphasis on who was in and who was out. But Jesus flips the script. And this is really good news. Jesus says that it is the down and outers. It is the overlooked. It is the forgotten. It is the neglected. It is the desperate. These are the ones who get to see God on the move. 
And it's the fat cat, self-satisfied, self-righteous, appear to have it all together types that those are the ones who are in danger of missing out on God. And then starting in verse 27, we start to bump into these commands, these things that Jesus says to do. And I actually made a list for us that is quite long and maybe a little bit hard to see. So let me run down through these. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt. Give to anyone who asks. When things are taken from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do for you. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get repaid. You must be compassionate. Do not judge. Do not condemn. Forgive and give. Jesus gives a couple of illustrations then moving into verses 39 through 42. And since all of these commands really are ways to live, really are behaviors, things to do, Jesus talks to where where behavior comes from in verses 43 through 45. And finally we get to verse 46, which is our question for this morning from Jesus. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? If we can go back to our list, I need you to see this morning that that Jesus asks this question after he's given us that long, long laundry list. And we're doing it wrong if we sanitize this list. And here's why. Love your enemies means that you've got enemies, people who are looking to do you in. And do good to those who hate you means you've got people who actually hate you, people who intensely dislike you. Pray for those who hurt you means that there are people looking to jack you up. Offer the other cheek means that you're getting assaulted, you're experiencing violence. Offer your shirt means someone is demanding your stuff. Give to anyone who asks means that people are after your stuff. Don't try to get your stuff back means that your stuff's been taken away. Do to others as you would like them to do for you means that you don't get to nuke the other guy, the other gal before they nuke you. Love your enemies, again with enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get repaid. You must be compassionate. It means that you're facing a tough situation where compassion is being called for. Do not judge means that that you are in a messy situation where you're gonna want to pull a how dare they because of something that someone has done to you. Do not condemn means that, that, that someone has done something hurtful that would be easy to condemn that person for. Forgive means that something ugly has happened that requires forgiveness. And give means, again, dig deep into your pockets. So let me ask you this. The situations behind these commands, these things that Jesus says to do, anybody wanna sign up for these? Where people are looking to hurt you, to hate you, to do you in, to jack you up. Right? There's nothing on this list. The situations that are represented here, there is nothing on this list that is easy. And so if we go back to our question that Jesus asks, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say, now knowing what's at stake? Now knowing what Jesus is getting at, how does this question feel to you? How does this question feel? 
And especially those words, do what I say. What do those words feel like? Does it feel like a stick or like a carrot? Does it feel like a threat or a promise? Does it feel like a demand or an invitation? How does this question that we see in Luke chapter six, how does it hit you? And I think if we're being honest, and if you're like me, there's a bit of resistance there. Like, hold up, when did Jesus get so pushy? But here's the thing. Again, if we go back to our list, do we live in this kind of world? The kind of world where you are going to have people out to get you. You're going to have enemies. You're going to have people who hate you, who dislike you. You're going to have people who are looking to hurt you, take your stuff, jack you up, cheat you, besmudge your reputation, write unkind things about you on social media, and we could go on and on and on with this. And the answer is yes. Absolutely, this is the kind of world that we live in. These are the kinds of things that you are going to face. And so what if? And these are the questions that we're gonna wrestle with as we jump into our scripture. What if you look at this list that we get in Luke chapter six, not as simply a laundry list of behaviors to do, but what if you look at this question that Jesus asks as an invitation to be the kind of person who responds to the hard things in life with love and goodness and prayer and generosity and compassion and understanding and forgiveness. See, these are the real questions in front of us this morning. This is what Jesus is getting at in his question that he's asking us coming out of Luke chapter six. And so to see that for ourselves, we're gonna dive into Luke six, starting in verse 43. Here's what Jesus says. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. Figs are never gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes are not picked from bramble bushes. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. Right, so your outward response, that comes from someplace, that comes from within. What you say flows from what's in your heart. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say, right? So relationship with Jesus cannot be divorced from obedience to Jesus. I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against the house and sooner or later the storms of this life are going to hit you, make no mistake, stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Dallas Willard writes persuasively and perceptively and profoundly on what does it look like to submit your life to the kingship of Jesus in your everyday real life. And commenting on what we just saw in, in Luke 6, verse 47 and then 48, Willard writes this, and this comes out of, out of his excellent book called The Divine Conspiracy. Here's what he writes. These words from Jesus show that it must be possible to hear and do what he said. 
It also must be possible to train his followers in such a way that they, are, that they routinely do everything that he said was best. This may seem a dream to us today or it may even be perceived as a threat to our current vision of being a Christian. But that is only because we now live in a time when consumer Christianity has become the accepted norm. And all out engagement with and in Jesus' kingdom among us is regarded as just one option people may take if it suits them, but probably is somewhat overdoing it. But contrast, the biblical pattern is from beginning to end, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Wouldn't you like to have a strength and understanding that enables you to genuinely and naturally bless those who are cursing you or cheating you? beating you out on the job, spitting on you in a confrontation, laughing at you, even killing you. Or the strength and understanding merely to give further needed assistance to someone who has forced you to drop what you are doing and help out. To offer the other cheek to someone who has slapped you. Clearly our entire inner reality of thought and feeling would have to be transformed to bring us to such a place. Yes, a part of this sounds like abundance of life, a very desirable condition to be in that immediately commends itself to everyone, but other parts seem like obedience, something that might well spoil our plans or ruin our life. And so I may be asking myself all along about about now whether I really wanna give up all the behavioral go-to options that would disappear from my toolbox. If I became the person described, the intelligent person who builds his or house upon the rock. But the truth about obedience in the kingdom of Jesus, as should be clear by now, is that it is really an abundance. Kingdom obedience is kingdom abundance. They are not two separate things. I wonder if you believe that. The kingdom obedience is kingdom abundance. An abundance that allows you to respond more and more to the hard things in your life with with goodness and prayer and generosity and compassion and understanding and forgiveness. And so the question that I ask then is how? How do you become that kind of person who responds to those hard things that are coming in your life in that way? The reality is I don't have a formula for you. Scripture does not give us a one, two, three, A, B, C for this, but let me give you two foundational concepts, things that are are needed as you seek to answer this question from Jesus yourself. And again, I'm stealing this from Willard as he probably has done what is, in my opinion, probably the best work of distilling down the wisdom out of the scriptures when, when it comes to following Jesus in the midst of your everyday grind. And so to become this kind of person, here's what's gonna be needed. The first thing is to love and to delight in God and to know that there is no catch, there is no ceiling, there is no limit to his greatness and his beauty and his wisdom and his power and his love. To allow your mind to be continually filled with him and the vastness of his love for you. Right, this is the Psalms. This is the greatest commandment that Jesus gives us in Matthew 22, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
And so you seek to know, not just informationally know, but to experientially know God more and more and more. And that's the beauty of this series as we look to understand this Jesus, God with us in the Gospels with greater clarity, his power and his love. You look to understand God's heart towards you, a love and a heart that permitted Jesus to die on the cross for you. You look to, to understand now how the risen Jesus is here among us, right here, right now, in this moment, among us as his people. You look to understand how the ascended Jesus is supreme over all creation, king of it all. He loves you desperately. Allow your mind to be filled with the greatness and the beauty and the goodness of God. Second foundational thing is this. Define ways to disrupt your knee-jerk tendency to disobey God. Because if we think back to that list that we just looked at in Luke chapter six, right? Your, your knee-jerk, my knee-jerk, my go-to response to my enemies is, is to hate my enemies. To hate those who, who hate you, to hurt those who hurt you, to slap those who are gonna slap you, to take from those who are gonna take from you. Those are your knee-jerk reactions because those have been your, your automatic responses for years. They come automatically, so how do you disrupt those? Because if somehow, if you can pull this off, fill your mind with the beauty of this wonderful God who loves you beyond measure and slow down your your knee-jerk automatic response to hurt back, to hate back, to hit back, then you're starting to answer these questions. You're starting to answer Christ's question, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say because your profession, Lord, Lord, will start to align with the kind of person that you are becoming, will start to align with the kind of person that you are are, are actually chasing to be the, the kind of life that you are actually living. Again, this is from Willard. It's not a formula, but it's a couple of helpful compass points that help us with this question, right? So, so let's start with ordinary life. And we have just seen from Luke chapter six, right? That, that ordinary life, life in this world is messy, right? We have established that. And so often when we bump into the challenges of life, right? We wanna push through those. We wanna resolve those. We want to overcome those and then move on but realize that the hard things in your life, right, that is your ground zero for, for your own transformation. Those hard things, that is, that is your ground zero for your own following of Jesus, right? Your annoying brother or sister, that backstabbing friend, that medical condition, those bills that you can't pay, that person who has cheated you, that is your ground zero for your own spiritual growth. The top point, right, action of the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, your, your forward progress in becoming the kind of person who responds to and in ordinary life with all its messiness, with goodness and prayer and generosity and compassion and understanding and forgiveness, ultimately, that is the work of the Holy Spirit who is transforming you, if you are a follower of Jesus, into that kind of person. And we know this because Galatians chapter five tells us this. 
Verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. John chapter three, verse five, Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Humans can produce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. 2 Corinthians chapter three, now the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the glory of the Lord are being transformed into his image with intensifying glory which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So action of the Holy Spirit who is the change agent in your life. If we hop back to our compass points, The question then becomes, so how how do you make yourself available to this work of the Holy Spirit who is transforming you, who is molding you, who is inviting you, helping you become this kind of person who answers our questions well? And the answer is simply this. You're gonna have to find ways to participate with the Holy Spirit through these things that we call spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. And so, so let me give you just a couple key disciplines to, to becoming the kind of person that can answer this question from Jesus well. These are practices that God's people have been pursuing for thousands of years in their quest to answer the question. Right? You're, you're going to have to find a way to incorporate silence and solitude. Even if you're a people person and solitude is the last thing you want to do. Even if you're, you're a chatty Kathy and even more than five seconds of silence drives you nuts. You're going to have to find a way to incorporate solitude and silence into your life. Because those two things actually give you space and time. Because in, in that, you lay down your words. You lay down your self-justifications. You lay down your defensiveness. You lay down your needs to be right. You lay down the managing of your own image. You are just simply being you in God's wonderful presence. See, silence and solitude are a bit of a speed bump to slow down your knee-jerk reactions, your knee-jerk tendency to hit back, hate back, hurt back. Space and time to allow you to see the situation from someone else's perspective. Space and time to allow you to see the situation from God's perspective. Space and time to actually hear what God might have to say about your hard situation. To see your situation in light of this question that Jesus asks. Another discipline in becoming this kind of person is to fill your mind with the truth. We talked about this already of God's goodness and beauty and love that it is the creator king of the universe that as you face your everyday life, he is with you, loves you more than you can imagine and he has your back. And the tried and true way to do that is to spend as much time as you can in this book hanging out with God. 
to allow your mind to be immersed in the truth of who he is. And even beyond this, there are so many additional ways to do this today, whether that is devotional apps, devotional emails, theologically true worship music, podcasts, books, poetry. Like for me, trail running is a spiritual discipline because this afternoon I'm gonna be out in the woods and and amazed at God's grandeur. There's so many ways to fill your mind here. And all of this leads to worship, which is a spiritual discipline unto itself. And your expression of worship can take a gazillion different forms, creative dance, poetry, artwork, singing hymns. But, but your ultimate expression of worship is gonna be in the way that you choose to live. The way that you choose to answer our questions I hate to give myself in as, as an example because if I'm sitting where you're sitting, I'm thinking, yeah, but you're a pastor, you don't count. So for a second, let's just forget that piece, right? So the last two years, I have, I have doubled down on silence and solitude and, and immersing myself in scripture. And the kind of change that I have seen in my own life is unlike anything I have ever experienced. And I ask myself why. How does sitting in silence for 20 minutes, how, how does that make me a kinder person? And you can ask my family this, right? A, a more gentle person. How does that allow me to be able to walk away from controlling sins that have had their hooks into me for years? I mean, I don't even like to kill spotted lanternflies. I'm, I'm, I'm much more kinder than I used to be. And as I look at it, I come up with, when, when I am in scripture, I am looking to, and these disciplines are relationship tools. I'm looking to spend time with God. I'm looking to hear him, to know him, to experience him, to bring myself into his presence and simply be me, beauty and warts and all. As I journal, as I respond to what I feel like he's prompting me, as I pray this thing called the prayer of examine, which is simply rewinding my day back, looking for, so where where did I see God? What is God inviting me to do through the ups and downs of my day? It's It's all about relationship. It's all about John 15, just these simple ways to abide in the taproot, which is Jesus. And there's so much more that we could say about all this, but we're out of time this morning. So let me leave you with this, right? So so to answer these questions, to know the reality that kingdom obedience is kingdom abundance, that this really is the way to have the full life that Jesus promises to you. And so I wanna leave you this morning by asking you the question, if an, an obedient, abundant, full life is the thing that you're looking for, if taking a step towards becoming the kind of person that Jesus is inviting you to be in this question, what is your plan? 
What is your plan, what is your plan for becoming the kind of person that Jesus is, is inviting you to be in Luke 6? The kind of person who, who, who does what Jesus says more and more from the core of who you are. The kind of person who responds to this very fallen world with love and goodness and prayer and generosity and compassion, understanding and forgiveness. How will you find ways to be continually filled with this great and beautiful God? How will you find ways to disrupt your knee-jerk tendency to disobey? The question is, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Jesus is calling you to the fullness of life. So how are you going to answer him?